0: Will you stand now in the honor of the reading of God's Word as we continue our preaching series through Colossians? We come now to Colossians chapter 4 and uh, verses 2 to 4 about the life of the believer in prayer. It's a tremendous section, short but filled with some great, great teaching on how to live in prayer. So let's together hear God's Word. Paul writes to that church, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." This is God's Word May it have its powerful effect on our hearts under the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Well, we're nearing the end of an immensely practical section in this epistle. So much great doctrine in the first two chapters and corrective teaching for the church and yet beginning at chapter 3 verse 1 Paul talked about the fact that they are new people in Christ and when you are new in Christ there's a new life within you the call is to live out that new life in the actual in your real world and Paul continues in that theme and throughout the last part of chapter 3 and now into chapter 4 he talks about a lot of ways in which we're to live out our call in Christ First with each other, we talked about marriage relationships, we talked about parenting, we've talked about life in the workplace, in the, in, in the open world out there. And now he takes a little shift and he goes to our relationship with the divine. And that's chapter 4, verses 2 uh, through, uh, through 4. And he talks about what I would call praying intentionally as Christians. And I want to style the message around that idea of intentional prayer. Now, uh, I find it really interesting that the timing of this, and staff pointed it out to me this past week when we were planning our services, that as as you know, at our retreat uh, in the late fall of last year, our elders were, were impressed with the fact that God wanted us to lead our congregation under the theme of drawing nearer, drawing nearer to God through prayer to one another through fellowship and ministry and to a lost world through outreach. And uh, we we were led to lead with prayer. And we wanted to create opportunities for the church to learn to pray more consistently and, and for the church to gather for prayer more often. And the first opportunity for that is tonight in our drawing nearer prayer gathering and everybody pointed out on Monday morning, wow, think of the divine timing in this as you're calling us to gather tonight as a body to pray and be with each other. Right here in the passage, God's teaching us through his word with perfect timing about continuing steadfastly in prayer and learning to do it with thanksgiving and calling out to the Lord. And this was written to the whole church at Colossae, so this is written to the whole church in Valley Forth. So um, I believe in divine timing, And I'm excited about how this text can help us. It's all about uh, intentional prayer. Now, what do I mean when I use that phrase? Well, um, a lot of us think we know how to pray. And a lot of us grew up in certain prayer atmospheres, but some of us not very much because we were from a totally secular background, some of us. But um, we were all before we met Christ around prayer in a certain way. And uh, it was mostly in a place like this. And it was mostly what I would call the old way of ritual, where uh, you're, you're kind of involved in a ritualistic exercise. The few times that I was ever in church was mostly on the base chapel because my dad was active duty Navy. And there were certain what they call command performances where all the command went to the chapel and it was part of the event. And uh, the only hymn I ever knew was the Navy hymn. Where, which, which which is a great hymn, and when you hear an entire cathedral full of of uniform personnel singing uh, that great navy hymn about God strong to save those in peril on the sea, even though i didn 't know Christ, I knew it was in the presence of something majestic, but even the, even in those encounters, the prayer was ritualistic, and it was written in a program and and we stood up at certain points, and it was recited over us and and it was ritual. Maybe you were involved in, in, in something like that, but it wasn't actual. The Colossians that had been involved in ritual prayer because they were part of a pagan society and, and so you stopped at one of the many temples there in Colossae or you traveled to a larger city like Ephesus on great feast and worship days and, and you went into the each major temple, temples for each of the gods that Rome called you to, to worship and Prayer for them was desperate promises and desperate pleadings for that idol uh, to pour out some kind of protection or blessing on their lives. So they knew prayer in an old way. It was ritualistic, maybe like what you've been involved in. But they needed a new way which was real, which was actual, to go from the ritual to the actual, to go from something that was desperate to something that was relational with a God who loved you. And so Paul was teaching them, once again, by reminder, to learn to pray intentionally and learn to pray the way God, your, the new God of your new life, wants you to pray that's what this is all about. And he had taught them about this through other pastors who had planted that church and through that he had mentored. And now he closes, really, as we get to the, close to the end of the practical here, he closes with the greatest thing, and that is learn and remember to pray as I've taught you the new way of prayer. In a sense, he was saying, I want you to be intentional about praying the way I've taught you the new way And so my goal today is to take his words and apply them, I think, in the same way he was calling out for them, and that is to be intentional about praying in the new way. My goal is that you would simply think more intentionally about prayer in your own life this morning. A lot of times when we get to prayer, we almost look at it as an electrical engineering course. Some people can do it, most of us can't. It's intimidating. It's got secrets. There's processes. There's methods. The vast majority of people are not built for it. There are certain prayer experts, prayer warriors, we call them, but they're not us. And, And this is not written to them. It's written to the whole church. And it says, listen, this is for all believers. So prayer can be simple enough and understandable enough for all of us to build it into our everyday lives. And so I want you to simply think about what I'm teaching and ask yourself the question, could I begin to do some of the things that this passage teaches in my private walk with God? Not going to ask you to make commitments, not going to guilt you, not going to give you a whole set of things that you might be able to do for two days and then you'll fall out. My goal is that you would think more intentionally about prayer, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. To walk more closely to God in these times. So that's all I'm asking. That's the mindset I'd like you to have today as you hear. Every time we learn something new and we begin to move in that regarding prayer in our life, I'll tell you, there's a blessing bound within it. You can't get closer to God without understanding more of the blessing of who He is, it's impossible. William Law, a great uh, uh, teacher of the past, a Puritan, I believe, wrote this a couple centuries ago. The older it is, probably the better it is. He said, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him in this life. I think he's right. So there's a blessing bound within pursuing God in prayer. So I'm going to take this passage and Paul's points are going to be my points. There's basically four things he teaches us about intentional prayer. And I'm going to list out the four. And under each, I'm going to give you the essence of what I think it means. And I'm going to give you some essentials about how it can work in your life. Okay. Let's take a look at the text. Continue steadfastly in prayer. He launches his theme. First, thing he teaches us about being intentional in prayer is this. Be intentional about taking everything to God in prayer as a way of life. That's the first thing he reminds them about uh, in terms of prayer in the actual. That's the first thing I want you to think about leaning into in your life. Be intentional about taking everything to God in prayer as a way of life. Let's take first a look first of all at the essence of this, and I'll put it in a sentence for you in a minute. Look at your Bible. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's a command. It's in the present tense in the Greek, which means I want you to do this as a growing way of life for every Christian, mature or just beginning. The word continue there is important. It reflects another text, and that's First Thessalonians chapter 5. In verses 16 to 18, let me read that for you. To another church, he says the same thing in different words. First Thess 5, 16, Rejoice always, again a command, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God in Christ Jesus for every believer in that church and in this church? To give thanks, but go back to the beginning, to pray without ceasing. And some of you are saying, see, that's where I have to turn you off. That's humanly impossible. I mean, that it's not possible for me to spend every waking moment of my mental life and my actual life praying. Well, it's a figure of speech. <laughs> He's not talking there about every wa- waking moment of your life and every waking word off your lips as being prayer. You're, you're, you have an exaggerated interpretation. Don't exaggerate your Bible too much. He's talking there about continually being in prayer. He's talking about prayer being a frequent and constant dimension of your life. Everything you live through, you bring to God in prayer. It's not about praying all the time, but hear me, it's about praying about all things. Maybe that's the way to put it. It's a lifestyle of looking to God in prayer about everything you encounter in life. Let me repeat that. It's a lifestyle of looking to God in prayer about everything you encounter in life. And he says, as you do this, everything in your life becomes something to pray about. Now, isn't that about 180 degrees out from the way we are as average Christians in America today? Absolutely. We look to ourselves to handle everything that comes our way in life. It's the American way, isn't it? It's the self-sufficient, I got this American way. And for, you know, for the most part, up until our, our, our particular point in time, we have enough tools and options and possessions and, and we have enough capability within our human sphere of life that most of the things that come your way in life, you can say, I got this. And so as a culture, we've been so filled with blessing and so filled with strength and so filled with divine blessings and mercy on our everyday life that we can get through most of life on our own. Is that not true? And yet, that's the grand exception in spiritual life over all of history. And as you probably have guessed, some of that great experience of comfort and option and human ability to make life work virtually without God in our culture is disappearing. Oh, no. We need this teaching. We need to, we're going to need to develop a lifestyle of looking to God for everything that comes along in our life. He says everything should be prayed over. That's a, a kind of a sub-voice to all of it. And as you take everything, as you continue to pray about everything in your life, he also says you need to pray steadfastly about it. That's an interesting word. In the Greek language, it was the word kartere, which means nothing to you. And it didn't mean much to me until I studied it this week, I must confess. It meant to be steadfast. It meant to endure. In our English language, it meant to hang in there, to hold on and keep at something. In the Greek language, it's got a preposition in front of it, which intensifies it. So that basically means, it means to be deeply steadfast to be super strong in your commitment not to give up doing something to deeply hang in there it's the idea of ultra perseverance now look at it he says as everything comes your way in life continue to pray about these things and pray about them with intensity and don't give up praying so you put those things together and here's how i put the essence of it ready The first idea about being intentional about taking everything to God in prayer as a way of life can be put into this sentence. Pray about everything and don't give up until you see God's answer or you have God's peace. He's talking about believers living living under normal circumstances in a wicked world. We've lived under abnormal circumstances in a remarkably blessed culture. That's changing. The Colossians were living under life as we will soon face it. And he said, listen, you're going to need to learn to pray about everything instead of handling everything. And when you pray about it, you're going to be under such pressure sometimes that you're going to have to remember not to give up until you see God's answer or you have God's peace about the issue. Praying intensely. See, that's not our church. It's not the American church but it sure was the first church. I did a little word study of this this command or this word, kartareo, which meant to pray and to to pray intensely and steadfastly and to hold on to God about things. And I found that it was used 10 times in the Greek New Testament. Six of the 10 are associated with prayer. Prayer and with the new testament church just a few examples in acts 114 the church as it was waiting for the holy spirit to come and divinely author the church in that upper room days uh, weeks rather after the resurrection and the ascension the bible says they were all with one mind continually devoting and that's our greek word proskatero they were intensely steadfastly devoting themselves to prayer acts 114 when the Holy Spirit had come and begun the church and he began to fill and muse the people, they gathered together. And what did they gather together to do? In the early church, Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting, same Greek word, themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 2.46, later on in that very same chapter, day by day they continued, proskotereo, with one mind in the temple. That's worship, that's prayer, that's being before God. Later on, when the church grew and the, the apostles had to limit their ministries and they were devoted to, to, to spiritual leadership, they said, we will be devoted to two things, Acts 6, 4. We will devote, we will intensely commit ourselves to where we won't give up to two things, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And finally, in in Romans chapter 12, decades after the church started and it was starting to mature and Paul was writing to new churches outside Jerusalem, he told the new church, Romans 12, 12, you are to rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, and be devoted, proskertereo, to prayer. That's the call of God for the church. That's the call of God to us. So that's the essence of it. Learn as a church to pray about everything and don't give up until you see God's answer or you have God's peace. Now you say, how in the world can a church that's essentially been prayerless for decades, I'm talking about the church at large, the American Christian culture, how in the world can we begin to to inload that into our lives? Well, let me get to, to some essentials. I've talked about the essence. Two essentials that you might think about in your life. Number one, you need to know that it's God's will for you to develop a life of prayer. Like I said earlier, this is not for that person who's got a degree in spiritual engineering. This is for you. You know, I, I have a lot of people come to me as a pastor and they, they, uh, they come to me with questions about whether something is God's will in their life. And it's a pleasure to counsel them. But they, they, they come asking, is, "Is this the right person for me to commit to in a marriage?" Some of them are, are greatly burdened, and they have been for years, about whether they have a, a call to ministry or not, and an obligation to professional ministry, or whether that's not true, and they're burdened, and it takes years to work that out. Others, it's as simple as, do I stay in my job? Or what about, what about this new employment opportunity? It's going to mean big changes in my family and my life or any other decision. And you know, there are, there are ins and outs of that, that kind of counsel, and there are options in that way. But I'll tell you one thing. The Bible's very clear about at least one thing that is always God's will for your life. You know where I'm going. I just, just, I just sucked in, didn't I? God's will is that you do live a life of prayer. I'm sorry. Thank you, brother. It it just is. You don't need my counsel about that. You don't need to come to me and say, Pastor, I just wonder if if God really wants me to pray anymore and whether he wants me to grow in that or whether I can just leave that by the way. No. We all struggle to know the will of God in a lot of areas of our life. This should not be a struggle. This is a persistent reality. So know that it's God's will for you. And secondly... Know that it's the only way God designed certain things to get done. This is very important. God designed prayer to be the means by which certain things get done, and they don't get done otherwise. You know, a lot of people have a a struggle with prayer, and I struggle with this at times in my life. If we believe that what the Bible teaches is true about the sovereignty of God... His perfect control and command of all things, that He's ordained and and, and foreordained the events of the future. In fact, not only the sovereignty of God, but the omniscience of God. That's a fancy word for the fact that God knows everything. He knows everything past, present, and future. He knows everything actual or possible. He knows every thought in my mind, every need in my life, and every matter in my world. Isn't that true? He's sovereign God, and He knows all things. So people get hung up on the question: Well, what in the world then am I being doing? Called to ask Him for things if He knows about them already, and He has a plan about them already? You ever struggle with that? I have. Well, God knows all things, and He's sovereign in everything. But He has ordained prayer to be a way in which you were involved and him doing certain things. There's an old Bible preacher named R.A. Torrey. In fact, the chapel that I preached in in seminary was named after Dr. Tory in Southern California. Great Bible teacher. And he wrote this when somebody asked him the question, you know, if God knows everything already, why should I pray? And he says, because there are certain things that God will not get done except through prayer. He just gives you the, the honor and the privilege and the responsibility of being involved in his working. He said there's at least uh, four reasons. Number one, because there's a devil. Ever thought about this? And prayer is the God-appointed way to resist him. Think about it. Ephesians chapter 6, he says in verse 12, you stand against the schemes of the devil. And at the very end of verse 18, the way you stand, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. Don't you know that? If you're under any concerted attack of the enemy any time in your life, the greatest power and the only solution is spirit-driven prayer against the schemes of the devil. There are certain things that only get done as you pray. Surviving supernatural onslaught is one of those. Second, he said, we pray even though God knows all things. Secondly, because prayer is God's way for us to obtain what we need from him or if we're in desperate need in a certain situation for a provision or for a working of God, but even just basic provisions, Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, give us this day our daily bread. Some people believe that that's symbolic for every human need you have. Dr. Torrey says you've you got to pray, and you've got to pray intensely because prayer has been designed by God to, to be the way you obtain what you need. Thirdly, he says you, you got to persevere and pray even though God knows everything because God has appointed for us prayer as the way to find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16, you've got to approach the throne of grace. And what will you find there? Grace to help in time of need. But the whole atmosphere there is coming by faith in a God of grace. Those Hebrew believers didn't understand that. They thought it was still in their hands. And finally, he said, because prayer is with thanksgiving is God's way for us to obtain relief from anxiety. Wow, now you're listening. Everybody's got more free-floating anxiety now, don't we? Philippians chapter 4. In everything, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will be yours. That only happens through that divine transaction. Do you follow? It doesn't happen through you repeating certain mantras or, or certain anti-anxiety formulas or for you writing out positive thoughts or you working out a change in your situation. No, there's something about the human encounter with the supernatural God of your life, which Paul says delivers peace like no other. So that's uh, the second essential. It's the only way God designed things. You say, well, wait a minute, man, I... You don't understand my life, Pastor. You just don't. I live a life that's different than yours. You get paid to be involved in spiritual things. You're involved with Christian people. You, you have a different world. I'm involved in the work in life. I'm involved in a totally different environment. I'm being hammered by my commute. I'm being challenged by crazy values and practices in my company. I'm under tremendous time stress because after COVID, I was one of the few left standing. The good news when they came to me, when they said, we got good news and bad news, the good news is you you still keep your job. The bad news is you're doing four other people's jobs. That's my life, Pastor. You want to talk about margin? My margin's like that. How am I going to become a person devoted to prayer? Well, Jim Maxim is a writer from the marketplace, and he uh, wrote a book called 21 Days to Break Through Prayer. And he gave some examples of how you might just, I just want you to think about it, begin to fold prayer in, in, in small ways into your life I would call this prayer tips for pounded people. How about that? You ready? He writes this. Progress, not perfection, is what you're looking for in a life of prayer. Man, that is so important. Progress, not perfection, is what you're looking for in a life of prayer. So he says if you're under extreme duress, as most of us are in a marketplace world, let me ask you this. Do you have to get up in the morning? How many of you have to get up in the morning? Not all of you raised your hands, which tells me a lot, helps me understand why some of you guys, every time I see her, now I know. Y'all had to get up in the morning. We all have to get up in the morning. He says, in the morning, do you say, it's good Lord, it's morning, <laughs> or it's morning, good Lord. I mean, there's a big difference in the phraseology there. You've heard the old joke, right? thousand and one times. He says, take that atmosphere in the morning as you're just getting, you're getting to consciousness and you're, you're, you're kind of moving about the method of your day and just stay right where you are and take a minute or two and commit your day to prayer, commit your challenges to prayer, commit your, your work day to prayer, your family evening, what you know is coming when you get home to prayer. Just take a moment and give it over. Do you have to drive to work in the morning? How many, how many of you have to commute somewhere? Okay. The rest of you guys are, are getting good sleep. <laughs> if you've got to drive somewhere, you got to commute to pick up your grandkids, retired folks, and drive them all over. In fact, you're, you're probably commuting more than the average middle-class executive right now. If you're a grandparent who's reparenting, you're everywhere. You know every soccer field in the whole valley. So as you're... As you're involved in commuting reclaim the time he says and, and and get ready for the day in god's strength on your commute pray for others pray for your work situations pray for those that need to know christ pray over the issues you might be facing prayer pray for your own sanctification in your workplace or as you parent or reparent with whoever you're going to meet that day he says, for a year my prayer as I commuted each morning has been, Father God, in the name of Jesus, please use me today to make faith come alive in someone's heart somewhere in my workday. Lord, please help me share your love with somebody today, end quote. Yes. Now the thing among younger, younger uh, dads and, and, and people today uh, that are younger in the workforce is you, you basically fill your commutes with a podcast, don't you? Lots of us do that. How about taking a little time away from the podcast to get into a God cast, all right? Does that work for any of you? It worked for me this morning. (laughs) Prayer tips for the pounded. How many of you have to eat? Some of you need to stop. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll lead the way. Before any meal, we always pray, right? A little quiet blessing. Why don't you extend that blessing. Extend that. Who says that God says, you? okay, if you pray for anything more than a blessing over the meal, you're out of line. Take a little time, and as you pray for the blessing over the meal, extend that for a minute or two, he says, and bring some burdens on your heart to the Lord. I'm a firm believer that if, if, if something is a burden in your heart and comes through your mind, there's a good probability God wants you to pray about it. So extend that blessing time. Don't just shoot right through it. Take some extra time there at the lunch table you're at, or your evening. You say, what do I pray about? Would you have a note-taking application on your phone? I have. I keep notes in it. Pop that little bad boy open as you're sitting there, and you have your repeat prayer list, your big items. Take a moment, and as you ask the blessing over your lunch... Take three or four of those items to the Lord in thankful prayer. You see, it's not that hard when we think about how to get this into the seams of our driven life. How many of you are going to have to see family members sometime in the next week? How many of you are going to hug your wife or... Grab your kids or, or tassel the hair of your grandkids. Why not? Every time you do that, take a moment and pray in your heart silently over their spiritual lives, over their personal lives. Every time you see one of your grandkids and that hug comes, hold it a little longer and pray over their lives. Be a priest over your family. How often this is needed and how, how late we learn it. How many of you are going to face a crisis sometime soon? Well, you don't want to raise your hand about that, but we will. During any crisis, financial, relational, personal, employment, spiritual, whatever it is, take it to the Lord immediately. Don't go to your little Rolodex, your, your, little, your little code system of how you handle things. Go and say, oh, God, before I go to me, I want to go to you. Because I'm fooling myself to think that even the, this challenge... It's something I can handle. And finally he says, are you going to have to go to sleep tonight? Yeah, God willing. Prayer can be planned into those last moments. What do you do with your last moments? Are you sitting there zipping through, you know, what you're binge watching and then cring? or you're reading that mystery novel you've been taking forever to get through and then cring? I'm changing that routine. Every night I've got that that prayer log and I've got the word of God and uh, whatever blue light is coming into my head from my iPhone, it's from God's truth. And I have a time where I bring everything that I've been battling to the Lord as I close the day. You see, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue after it. Move after it do it we're gonna have to blaze now like usual here's the last three dear lord i'm pardon me i'm pausing for intentional prayer dear lord (laughs) help me get through this so we're not too long second thing he says is be intentional about not letting anything weaken your prayer focus and urgency look at the text my goodness i can't believe it went that long being watchful in it what does that mean well, the essence, I'm just go the essence and some essentials, the essence of this. The, the Greek word meant stay awake. How, how interesting. <laughs> Anybody ever struggle with that one? It's actually, in our case, it's not so much keep, staying awake, it's s- s- keeping attention on prayer, praying into, into, into length and, and devotion. The Greek word meant to keep awake, to refrain from sleep, and so keep yourself watchful and awake. We find it in the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, same word, where Jesus went and was praying in his agonies in Gethsemane, and he asked three of the disciples to be near him and to watch with him. He said, pray. And yet he came back and he found them what? Asleep. They had failed this challenge. He said, so you men could not keep watch Same Greek word with me for one hour. Keep watching. Be watchful. Same Greek word. Praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the greatest enemy of prayer many times? It's our human weakness, and it's the distractions that come to take us out of prayer once we've begun or once we've committed to it. So here's the essence of it. Don't give in to discouragement or distraction in your prayer life. Don't give in to discouragement or distraction in your prayer life. Two essentials about this. Number one, accept the fact that when God leads you to pray about an urgent need, all kinds of physical, emotional, mental, situational, and supernatural distractions will occur to discourage you. Learn to not give in to them. That's the essence of what he's saying here. Learn not to give in to them. Be watchful. Don't let the flesh you battle overcome the call of the Spirit. Second, rest assured that if the church loses some of its natural privileges in the coming days, which we fear in spite of all of our legal efforts and efforts as citizens that it could... We lose civil and legal and financial security. The church is going to have a whole lot of supernatural privileges it can count on. The church is going to have to learn to be watchful and dedicated in prayer. Moving on to the third. Be intentional about thanking God. For all he has done and will do in answer to prayer look at it continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving here's the third principle third with thanksgiving that's it why do, why is that so powerful because being thankful to god for what he has done through prayer will encourage you to pursue him with more prayer does that make sense what's the essence of that i'll put it in a phrase you'll be comforted as you pray over how god has answered in the past and will in the future Many times when you face a certain challenge that's brand new to you, but I'm, I'm telling you, if you've walked with the Lord for any period of time, you can go back in your spiritual logbook and see that God took you through something similar in answer to prayer before, and it gives you the courage to pray. This is why some older believers who are really practiced in prayer that you know in this church and other places, this is why some older believers are so chill. Seriously about problems in their life in problems in our world. And when you bring your problems to them, they're not overwhelmed. What do they do immediately? They take your hand and they say, let's take that to the Lord in prayer before we do anything else. Some essentials about this. Number one, remember that praying with thanksgiving has always calmed the church in troubled times. This is very important. You know, today as was mentioned in our elder prayer, we've got a world that's teetering on some things. Just about every day I imagine you've had in your mind some concerns about our governing system, worries about corrupt or unpredictable leaders. I'll bet more than once today you're going to check your phone and take a look at a news feed to find out if something hasn't happened that might lead us into a war. Something could happen literally in a moment of time. It could change things in Europe and maybe and change things here. Worries about leadership, distant war. You're stunned every day as you see a new episode of lawlessness and criminality that goes unchallenged in our cities. You're dismayed at the godlessness that that you see creeping through our society, the moral madness, the worship of man. You know as well as I do that all signs are pointing in the economic free fall we may be entering to something with a meltdown at the end of it and you worry about your future and others. And if you drive through any street in any city in America... You see rushing past your windows the specter of homelessness, a society falling apart at its bottom. And you say, wow, it's never been like this. (laughs) What are we to do? Well, I'll tell you what, it was the same way then. Paul wrote this to the Colossians. In AD 60 to 62 you know what it was like back then the golden days of rome were gone just like people say the golden days of our american society the american dream the great american experiment they're gone well the golden days in rome were long gone by that time they started as a, as a representative republic somewhat like us but dictators later known as emperors had gradually usurped all the power from the people the people had no power no voice the republic was dead despotism ruled through emperors and the worst of them all was ruling at this time did you know that when Colossians was written Nero had taken his throne through murder and deceit and intrigue he was only 25 years old but by then he had already been responsible for the murder of his mother Agrippina and most assuredly he had also by that time murdered his wife Octavia in the middle of all this idol worship and paganism Shot through the whole society. Decadence of every type morally enveloped the city of Rome and all the cities of the empire. In Rome itself, there were approximately two million people living in the city. Like I told you last week, more than half of them, better than a million of them, were slaves. There's a small portion who were senators and privileged landowners, another portion who were soldiers, and the majority of the rest were all at the bottom. There was no middle class. And did you know that tens and tens of thousands of people were homeless on the streets of Rome or in any Roman city at that time in the empire? So doesn't that seem like today all over again? And yet in all of that, Paul says, you pray with thanksgiving. You thank God for the same God who's with you like he was with them. It's always calmed the church in troubled times is what I'm saying. Secondly, you can always truly thank a God of perfect love. Our God is in control. Do you believe that? You don't have to feel it, but I hope you believe it. And the one who's in control is perfect. Someone once wrote, when we come to prayer, we can know that God's love wants the best for us, God's wisdom knows the best for us, and God's power gets the best for us. It's so true last. He goes here at the end and he shifts from them being vertical with God to being intercessors. And he says, at the same time, verse three, pray also for us. Who's us? Paul, who was in prison in Rome, writing this, and his ministry team around him who were ministering to him in prison and then going out and representing him in the church and still getting the ministry done even though he was in shackles. Pray for us, he says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. What's the last principle? Be intentional about praying for God to open doors for the gospel in a dark world. Be intentional about that. That's also one of the things that doesn't get done except through prayer. Dr. Torrey could have added that to his list. Pray for God to open doors for the gospel in a dark world. What's the essence of this? I'll put it in a phrase. Both the possibility and the power for evangelism depend on prayer. Let me repeat it. Both the possibility and the power for evangelism depend on prayer. He's saying, if you read this sort of in the negative, if you don't pray also for us, God may not open to us a door for the word. God wants you to partner with us. He's got places to go. He's got people to save. And he wants to open these doors and he wants to do it through your prayer. Pray also for us as a ministry team that God may to open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison and that we may make it clear that the gospel is a mystery to a, a, an automatically deceived culture. They were paganized, completely spiritually wrecked. We are today paganized and completely spiritually wrecked as a society. People are automatically deceived when you come to them with the gospel. There's layers of, huh, they don't get it. What do you do about that? You pray for God to make the mystery of Christ clear to their hearts in a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And you pray for him to use you in that mighty encounter. Paul said, pray for an open door. Interesting, the Greek word actually means a door to come open again. What was, what was an open door? It was a way he described opportunity to take the gospel into a certain situation. It's familiar to you because in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says he remained at in Ephesus to redeem the opportunity there because a wide and effective door for service is open to me, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, and there are many adversaries. That's always true. He said again in 2 Corinthians 2 that he came to the place called Troas for the gospel of Christ when a door was opened for me in the Lord. And so Paul knew that God was in charge of opening doors. He did it in response to the prayers of the church and he wanted more open doors even though he was in prison. You catch the irony of that? You're sitting in prison. You're facing an unknown end what would your first response be to ask? What kind, which door would you like to ask Christians to pray would open? <laughs> the prison door. Pray to get me out of here. No, he couldn't have cared less because he knew it was an all good. He wanted a door for the gospel. Not get us out of prison, but get your gospel out of prison, Lord. Oh, that's amazing. Some essentials, and I close. We have an enemy that holds doors shut. Why would you have to pray for open doors? Well, the obvious conclusion is there's someone that's holding them shut. Who might that be? The one who presides over the gates of hell. And yet Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because in Revelation, he says, I am the one who opens doors that no one Can shut ask God to open doors for the gospel second we have a gospel that is foolishness to a natural world like I said people are automatically deceived in our culture but God can make it clear and he'll do that by prayer do you have somebody in your world that's thoroughly secularized deceived their mind is a mishmash of whatever uh false influences and teaching they've had. They've denied the gospel for years. They they don't even get the first A of the ABCs about Christ. What do you do? Pray that the mystery of Christ be made clear and that it may be you who does it.